When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Jack McKay huddled in the cold midnight street with a pale green sleeping bag encasing his lower half. Spindled trails of light reflected off the gleaming roads from the damp lampposts. But the cold wasn't what gave Jack his nightly jitters. Not by a long shot. The small flame bewitched his green eyes just below the bent spoon full of rose-gray powder. This last week of panhandling had been kind to him. It was likely shit quality riddled with impurities, but that was irrelevant. He had an itch, so why waste what the good lord delivered? Might leave a wee aftertaste in your gob, but you'll enjoy the ride. Trust me, the dealer had assured him, as much as a dealer would. A little further down the pavement was another homeless man draped in a tan blanket. He was sitting upright with his face buried between his knees. Jack knew him as Graham Wilson, a neurotic character he had met in the queue for the shelter off Crimea Street before they reached capacity and shooed everyone else away. A man was approaching dressed in some thick woven coat and Rupert Bear trousers. His footsteps sounded strange against the asphalt. Clop, 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 as if he were wearing a pair of tap shoes. A large black tweed hat covered his face. He bent down to Graham and mumbled incoherently to him. The two exchanged mumbles for a minute or so before Wilson nodded. In the corner of his eye, Jack watched the two disappear into an alleyway. Probably gonna suck him off for an alcohol pounds, Jack thought to himself. Once the powder became a gooey black puddle, Jack dipped in the needle tip and drew up the ethereal fluid of the angels. His arm was permeated with collapsed blood vessels too narrow and bruised for use, but he still had a few good ports left. He spied a surviving vein among the scarred landscape and slid the needle in slowly. One pole of the plunger to check for blood, and then a slow push forward until the black substance disappeared. First, his arm tingled as though someone lit a fuse in his venous expressway. Then, all at once, an extracellular stimulant erupted into a euphoric surge. 
Pure illusory pleasure coated his brain like thick warm wax. The jitters stopped. Glasgow, with its year-round Atlantic gales, with its Victorian tenements and modern skyscrapers, no longer existed. And for a moment, his thoughts reached the peak of the vast universe. And then the scream started. It was a horrible shrill of horror. It came from around the corner and sounded like it was pouring straight out of Graham's throat. Through his veil of dazed elation, Jack couldn't drown it out. Someone needed help. His help. He lumbered over the walkway and rounded the corner before his drug-weighted thoughts could catch up. As he reached the narrow gap between the two tenements, the screaming stopped. Double yellow lines ran across the side street's edge with a few bin wagons under the orange glow of a street lamp. There was no trace of the two men between the chipped brickwork. The pathway was a dead end of dilapidated windows, only one way in or out where Jack stood. Still not entirely at his wits, he stepped inside where Graham and his screams dissipated. An odor of wet trash and rusted iron perforated the air. A drain cover was laying next to a void in the asphalt. Jack peered down the exposed pipe. Assisted by the orange light, he could make out something laying at the bottom of the chute. A mangled human hand. Two fingers were missing. The palm was for the most part peeled away from the exposed tendons in a ghastly fold. Jack stumbled backward from the sight and nearly vomited the universe from his body. Without another thought, he barreled out of the area as fast as his legs allowed. To say the vile image of that disfigured hand smothered Jack's thoughts was an understatement. Every night after the incident, he tried fruitlessly to expel the repeating scenarios of Graham Wilson sitting on the same street corner like him, followed by the clop, 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 then the screaming. But why those sounds? Why wear those shoes? Maybe the dealer had snuck some hallucinogenic kick into his merchandise. It's difficult to trust your eyes with a mind as high as a kite during Hurricane Ball Bag. Jack was too afraid to tell the authorities, let alone to check that dreadful place again. Russell Gresham, one of the few souls left in his social circle who wasn't a peddler. He was the only one he could tell. He had several years over Jack and had been sleeping rough in Glasgow far longer. His face was a contoured map of wrinkles with scruffy walrus mustache beneath a jutting nose. In his earlier years, he had been a gamekeeper for deer, before the Parkinson's worsened and one bill after another went unpaid due to the alcoholism. The two squatters often slept and conversed in the rickety upper level of a condemned corner row house off Greendike Street. Any passerby would notice the mounds of accumulated garbage and the front door covered in violation notices. The corridors were dark and unheated, 
and uncovered bulbs protruded from the ceiling fixtures over bare wooden floors and uncurtained windows. I'ma tell you something about Glasgow, Russell told Jack, only it came out more like Glasgow. What you saw was a shame, a heavy shame, but when you've known these streets as long as I have, that dear green city starts to look a hell of a lot less green. Every town has its dark corners, but devil be damned if we don't have some wicked ones. Jack's spine was firmly against the wallpaper that peeled off like dead skin. Russell and his ramblings could no longer reach him. There were nothing but white noise and incoherent whispers in the fairway glades of his thoughts. But these glades were not green. They were as dark as the cavernous depths that always waited for him. Newton's old dictum, what goes up must come down, could he pull himself out this time around. Not without a hollow metal fix. He needed it now more than ever before. His veins were hungry. The guilty pleasures were like an insufferable ringing in his ears, enough to drive anyone dog mad. Mad enough to tear out your eardrums just for the silence to return and the cravings to stop. His sanity was screaming, just like Graham Wilson's mutilated hand. They found a liver bobbing around in Hoganfield Lock. Could have belonged to that fellow you heard, Russell muttered scooping a spoonful of cold vegetables and losing the majority from the hand tremors. Didn't take livers for floaters. But I guess you learn something new every day. Jack's fleeting attention made him crack a contemptuous smile as he clutched one of the empty aluminum cans. The can fell by Jack's head, snapping him out of his pitch-black trance. Well, don't beat yourself up, laddie. Russell laughed through stained, grinning teeth. Well, even if you went to the polis, they'd have taken a good look at you. Told you to scramble. Nobody believes rough sleepers, let alone the junky ones. Come quickly. Sawny Bean is painting the streets red. <laughs> well, I'm sure that digest will. But Jack would not find his solace for another four nights until his next fix behind the deserted good yards of the Great Eastern Hotel. The large piece of property that loomed over Duke Street had long fallen to ruin. A rough sleeper from 1900 times would have been able to call this place shelter, before storms and tenacious winds withered its structural integrity. Portions of the roof had collapsed, and its halls were vacant and uninhabitable, and what remained of the hotel was a structure stripped down to its inner shell, more to preserve its character than anything else. This dose couldn't hold a candle to the last batch, no thanks to that fangled tooth dealer. It was far diluted and inadequate that all he got was a mild spark of pleasure for roughly five seconds or so. What a fucking joke, Jack seethed, but at the very least, it was enough to grant him some sleep for the night. The ringing momentarily fell still, 
and was replaced by the sound of running water. It was coming from the Molendiner burn that emptied into a lower culvert in between two perpendicular walls. The burn's flow surfaced briefly for a few yards beneath Duke Street and then disappeared yet again into the underground channels of Green Glasgow's veins, where it would eventually reach the Clyde. Across the gap, on the west side, was the car park of a business center, surrounded by an eight-foot metal barrier. Sammy! The shout woke Jack. A woman with a black coat and faded teal trousers was scouring the goods yard, she looked to be in her late twenties with short ruffled auburn hair. Judging by the high-pitched whistles and the Come here, boy, she was either looking for a dog or someone off their head. Come to think of it, maybe he had seen a dog sniffing around the area before he shot up. A bark resonated from the burn. The woman scuttled towards the ledge and slapped both hands over her kneecaps. How did you get down there? She sighed. An excited bark was the response. Jack watched her approach the cage ladder to their right that was attached to a rendered cement wall and topped with a safety railing. She carefully descended the steel rungs until she fell out of sight. After the quiet splash of her shoes, Jack crept forward and peered over the ridge. The Auburn girl was trailing a soaked Labrador that splashed around her in happy trots. What was once bright yellow fur was now sopping and clotted with mud. No dog could look more content. Well, what has gotten into you? She shouted with a partial laugh and a hiss of annoyance while the cold water rolled over her heels. You need a hand, lass, Jack called down to her. Oh, we're fine. On your way, please, she said with the denoted sliver of passive aggression, not so much as batting an eye to him. Just as her fingers were about to hook the lab's green collar, it veered away and galloped downstream, straight into the culvert. Sammy, no, she screamed, making chase and stopping at the foot of the tunnel where her voice echoed back to her. She paced the air passage back and forth like a wooden duck in a shooting range. Another bark reverberated off the brick-lined walls. And finally, after several attempts to coax the dog out, she sloshed her way inside. Oh, you little fucker, she jeered. Jack shuffled down the closest bank and cautiously dropped into the canal. Fresh cold water straight from the northeast seeped into his shoes. He stood beneath the stone arch at the mouth of the passage where the girl entered. It almost looked like a bullet shot right through Duke Street's crotch. Did you find him? He called into the black corridor. Traces of her voice bounced back to him, still calling for Sammy. Once he stepped inside, it was almost though a trip plate of events triggered all at once, an abrupt sequence that would leave Jack McKay waking in the middle of the night, glazed with sweat and holding in the screams for the rest of his life. The calls for Sammy stopped and erupted into a blood-curdling shriek. 
The girl's silhouette flailed out of the darkness towards him, followed by a clop, 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 and a shadow reached out and collapsed on top of her. Something was there. A large, hunching, amorphous shape. Waves of acrid bacterial odors flooded Jack's senses. Without thinking, he pulled the lighter from his pocket and flicked the small flame to life. Through the dim light, he could see a bloated mass of wrinkled skin. Several limbs with hooves twisted entirely backward held up the bulk of its barrel-shaped body. Dripping hair that resembled pondweed stems encompassed its muscular neck with yellow patches of fur. Deep, heavy breaths wafted out of its elongated muzzle anchored deeply into the girl's shoulder. And then something snapped from its brawny neck, a green nylon collar. Jack then realized the overall size of the being was growing, and the yellow blotches of fur were dissolving into its black mane. Why? A rickety voice squeaked out of her gray, spectral face. Her words creaked out with a weight of sanity about to be pulled to pieces. Why aren't you helping me? The corner of her mouth perked up in a caricature of pure madness. The hooves began to scrape against the rutted floor, following downstream. She was being dragged away into the imperceptible bowels of the underworld. For a moment, the paralysis left him as he dived forward and gripped the woman's hand. The lighter plopped into the water and bathed them both into blackness. He pulled with whatever strength his welted arms could collect, but the black skin, or whatever it was, stuck to her like viscid black tar. The sharp incisors in her shoulder clenched even tighter until a yielding blood vessel popped. Blood peppered Jack's face and made him lose his grip. He fell backwards into the burn as it seeped into his lower regions, and that's when he locked glances with the human-like irises. Two slits of golden embers that held a cold light behind them. Sort of a way God would look at a fly. Unmoved, or even concerned. Go ahead, watch to your heart's content, my friend. Who would believe you anyway? Piss emptied from his bladder. In one fearful, convoluted swoop, Jack turned tail and fled out of the culvert's throat, deafening out as much of the woman's screams as he could. He ended up in a vacant lavatory of a nearby park. Footsteps of mud and dirt residue smudged the monolithic flooring. The petrified face of sagging skin and dark telltale eyes stared back at him, and his skin had long lost its radiance, and after tonight, it would never return. Red pox streaked across his face, still wet and smeared. He cupped his trembling hands with water and smothered his face. Blood wreathed down the cracked porcelain sink and threaded down the drain. Did you see it? Yes, yes you did. Are you sure? Well, you damn fucking sure. 
I'm damn fucking sure. Twice now the screaming had come. Twice now people have disappeared. Those horrible eyes bored into his skull and left repeated thoughts of how gold can look so cruel. He could tell the authorities, but what would they do? They couldn't deny someone's disappearance, but as for the cause, he may as well show up stark naked to the station and give the chief a big slobbery kiss. This must be what waist deep in shit feels like, he thought. Russell was right, and for the time being, he was the only one Jack could trust. He sneaked into the foreclosed corner house through a gaping window. On the upper floor, Russell was nestled over a stained mattress and lightly humming in his sleep. Jack shook him awake. What the feck? He bellowed and swiped dazily in the air. Russell? Jack's skinny outline spoke to him. Well, Sawney Bean is painting the town red. Are you hawked up on the needle? Bolt you ball back. Russell snorted and began to turn over. That was until he smelled the blood. Well, fucking Christ, what did you do? It isn't mine, Jack exhaled through the gaps between his pale fingers. Someone else's. The woman took it away. Russell's protruding nose wrinkled. What do you mean, it? What are you on about? Well, something was inside of the burn. That was as far as his tongue's deadlock allowed. Somewhere in the membrane of his thoughts was an aimless speck of wounded clarity. Never speak it, never seen it, right? He wished it were right. Then he could run away from all these things that would surely drive him insane. But no, it was too late for the gift of ignorance. When I think it was a... I think it was a Kelpie. The words floated out of him. One eyebrow rose and crinkled Russell's forehead from his congested expression. Water horses aren't real. They're tails for barns. But I know what I saw, Jack exclaimed with the density of a stone pillar. And this Gelpie was not looking to offer children rides to their watery doom. It could change its shape. Well, that's how it lured the young lassie. That's how it lured Graham Wilson. It's real, Russell. And it feeds just like you and I do. Well, your ass is out the window. How could all of Glasgow not be on its haunches if an actual Kelpie were swiping people from the street? The burn, Jack explained hastily. Well, it's been moving beneath the city. All the nooks and the crannies that run straight through Hoganfield Loch into the city. Well, it finds someone alone and well, that it takes them away. You said it yourself, this town has dark corners. Russell grunted begrudgingly. Well, say you were right, he diversely grumbled, and something was hiding in those pipes. Well, what could a junkie like you do? Images of that woman's petrified face were acutely sewed into Jack's mind, alongside the butchered hand, alongside the sardonic embers. Kill it. He breathed. Well, I have to kill it before it happens again. Russell kneaded the bags beneath his eyes and drawled out a weighty groan. 
A portion of his sleep-depraved brain wanted to slap every piece of nonsensical gibberish out of this dafty fool. The rest could not deny the blood, as much as it wanted to. Jack McKay was a forlorn and helpless heroin head, but he was no murderer. The look in his dread-stricken face reanimated a distant memory for Russell, back into the depravity known as Belgrove Hotel. About three years ago, I fell on desperate times and took to the Belgrove Hotel. Well, you've never seen squalor like that hellhole. Rats infested the courtyard in our five-by-ten-foot rooms with barred windows. The stairs and the moldy corridors reeked of urine and vomit, and emptied cider and vodka bottles were left in the corners. Residents would smoke joints and drink themselves unconscious while the staff let them unattended in pools of their own filth. The owners were banking around a million a year or so in housing benefits. And so, one night, a wee old leddy burst through the door looking white as the tail of a pomegranate. She was crying for help, saying something pulled her daughter into the sewer drain. And one of the staff, some African mani, threw her out into the street. Well, we barely had room for ourselves. To this day, I wish I had helped her, but my spirits were too hobbled. A few days after that, a small pair of lungs turned up in Hogenfield Lach. Russell stood up from the bed and crunched his neck to the side. They could both hear the distant thunder outside. He walked over to the pile of bags with a graceless gait. I thought she was off her head. And frankly, I still think you are. Jack watched him fumble through one of the swollen black bags until he pulled out a small box. He returned to the bed and rested the black box over his lap. But devil be damned if they fish your parts out of that lock. He unclipped the metal holders of the box and opened its contents to Jack. The shakes had made my hands pooch nowadays, so I don't have much use for it. A Glock 17 pistol lay there in its container, with a box of Winchester silver-tipped shoved next to the grip and trigger. But if you're talking out your fanny flaps, and you stick up a bank, then you forget my name, eh? A biting gale rolled over the large kettle pond of Hoganfield Lock. It was one of the four large bodies of water in Glasgow Park left behind by Ice Age giants. This was the paramount source of the Molendinar burn that bled into the city. Thunder mumbled lowly from the overcast clouds hidden behind the night sky. Jack walked along the tarmac path that encircled the lock's outer edge. The pistol loaded insecurely in his pocket. Doubt consisted of where to look or what to expect harassed the loony bravado he called confidence. It felt like finding a needle in a haystack full of ravenous snakes, a needle he wanted in the worst way possible about now. For all he knew, the Kelpie was laying merrily in the middle of this damned lake, enjoying the fruits of its labor. He glanced over the shallow stretch of water and met a small wooded isle situated at its center, 
The isolated piece of land acted as a sanctuary that any buzzard or waterfowl could nest in. He followed the trail to the southern corner of the lock, closest to the wooded island's sandy beach. Unfortunately, the only way to reach it was to trek through the watery gap between shores. He stared at the water's glittering ripples from the wind, hypnotized by its alluring seams. Perhaps if he swam like a madman, it would be over in a minute or so, but even sixty seconds could separate the dead from the living. He'd be nothing less than an oblivious swan waiting to be pulled under, ripe for the picking. But if his theory was right, and he had every reason to doubt himself, the Kelpie came here to finish feeding. Frankly, he wasn't even sure if it needed to eat for necessity. Those tapered gold eyes weren't hungry. They were egotistic. After all, gods only eat and drink for pleasure. Finally, the madman made up his mind and traversed into the cold with the pistol held over his head. It was shallow enough for his feet to slop through the clumps of sand and submerged both shoulders. A sudden shock ripped through him as a long slender reed ran up his pant leg and filled him with frightful visions of glistening black mane. He propelled himself against the Langmuir currents, expecting at any moment for a set of powerful jaws to rend the flesh from his ankle and drag him into the black, bubbly abyss. The sand slanted upward as he reached the wooded island and pulled himself ashore. Fingertips smothered in soft, sickly earth never felt greater. A streak of lightning flared across the sky and released a thunderous crack that would have given Tyrannus and his six-spoked wheels a run for their money. Jack retreated into the dense layers of shrubs and thick undergrowth. Mature oak trees loomed overhead housing many nests. Other than the birds, plants were the dominant species here. He somewhat hoped anyway. The farther he traveled through the foliage, the lack of human disturbance became evident. There was no chiseled path nor signs to follow. If any soul went missing here, they disappeared into the soil forever. He scraped the thought for now. The greenery soon opened into a clearing, probably somewhere in the island's center. Thunder rumbled a low-pitched growl above him, but there was a different sound behind it sound of sobbing. Someone was close. Ugly roots of fear and relief of another human presence branched throughout his system. He couldn't allow himself to stop now, not after everything he'd witnessed. If he survived this night, the uncertainty would inevitably kill him. The wails led him to a woman curled up vulnerable against one of the lofty oaks, she whimpered as her auburn-colored head hung between her knees. Miss? Jack spoke softly in between her convulsive gasps. The pasty, sickly-looking girl floundered against the bark. No, please! She shrieked with anguished blue eyes. A patina of cuts and bruises covered her body. Most notably, the torn fabric over her left shoulder revealed grooves of missing flesh. 
It was the Auburn girl. Jack couldn't believe that she had survived. It's okay, he said and slowly drew closer to her. But I'm here to save you, Les. You, well, you're the one that left me here to die, she screamed hoarsely. Hey, you're right, but here I am. He traced the forested area with a cursory glance. Where has it gone? He inquired. She shook her head and started to bellow. Well, I don't know. Everything was so dark and wet. Something wouldn't let go of me. It dragged me deeper and deeper. Where's my dog? Where's Sammy? Well, I can't say, but I think right now you better get to a hospital. The Auburn girl pointlessly attempted to appraise herself with trembling noodle-like legs. Well, I can't. It hurts too much. Well, my ankle feels twisted. She whined pitifully. It couldn't be helped. Jack knelt beside the girl and hoisted her arm over his shoulder. Her petite body leaned into his. In this position, he felt as vulnerable as she was. Did already know he was here? Was abating him for a two-for-one deal? Despite the possibilities, this woman needed medical attention. He'd have to make that wager. They traversed through the hedges towards the border where Jack came in. The thought of crossing that water now felt like suicide. But what choice did they have? None, the quiet voice of reason whispered. What's your name? He asked through the wet strands of short hair atop her head. Talking. Yes, talking would help. But she didn't answer. What's a... Quite a nice heap of shite we've ended up in, eh? Jack said with a makeshift chuckle, holding whatever sanity existed in an upside-down world. She still didn't answer. Despite his constructed heroism woven from self-assurance and resolve, something wasn't right. The woman had a dainty, lightweight look to her, but she felt heavy, almost like a gravitational pull only affecting one of them. The weight of her steps thumped the ground. Her arm resting on his shoulder seized around his neck. A scar of lightning fire ripped through the sky and illuminated the entire lock for an instant. He looked at her, and she looked right back. Blue eyes no longer greeted him. Only golden embers. Something wet and clammy clung to Jack's arm. Her pastel skin took on a runny, gelatinous texture like a doll in a microwave. It climbed over his shirt and suctioned to him. The fabric of her clothes lost their texture and now resembled vaguely colored gelatin. The viscous goo-like secretion that once made up her body crawled over his arms, his torso, and started up the neck. Her eyes were infatuated with him and harbored an almost coy assertion. I win, they said. Two booming flashes illuminated them, one from the storm, the other from the pistols stowed away in Jack's pocket. The flytrap substance released him while the silhouetted shape of the girl collapsed to its knees. The rough outline of her dissolving figure was sputtering heavily from the newly opened hole where her throat and where the silver bullet were acquainted. Her color blackened to a pitch residue, 
and the pungent fungal smell was back and stronger than ever. Muscles in its back contracted and then bulked together like an interweaving tumor. But Jack wasn't done yet. Two more shots opened the creature's expanding back. It gurgled out a droning moan. Spouts of white which reminded him of star jelly jutted out of its wounds, and an eerie satisfaction sufficed through him. So, gods bleed, do they? How does it feel? He yelled through a fixed rictus grin. By now, its mouth and nostrils had elongated into a flat muzzle with projecting razor-edged canines. Beneath her was the muffled pop of several ribs being pulled out of place and curved outward. She was getting larger, more cylindrical. The bones in her arms and legs were forcefully extending. Her toes and fingers shriveled away into slanted cone-shaped stubs. Another round tore straight through its fleshy jowl, and then two more into its hind leg joints. The creature squealed piercingly like a banshee. It reared its triangular head backward where Jack caught sight of its eyes filled with crystallized fear. The universe coursed through his veins once again and transcended his mind to an unsurpassable threshold. He had met the enemy, and by the saints, the day was his. Well, send me another. He screamed into the tempest sky. Send another ignorant god to put down. The large horse raised itself upward, still bleeding the star jelly profusely. Its powerfully built muscles leaped into a four-beat gait. Clumps of earth kicked up into Jack's face from its twisted hooves. He gave chase to the monstrosity with his pistol deadlocked on the fleeting creature. What were you off to? I thought you enjoyed the hunt. Jack cackled as he madly fired off more shrapnel into its direction. The beast ripped through the thicket and leaped into the lock with an explosive splash. Jack skidded to a halt just an inch from the edge and bombarded the disturbed water until the click, click, click of an empty magazine. Won't you come back any time, you big Jesse? I'll be waiting right here, you fucker. He screamed, unhinged and hysterical. He sloped backwards and fell flat on his back, and a sensation of raw, unfettered joy bathed his frantic bliss. And for the first time in a long time, the jitters stopped. Russell Gresham was laying between a doorway with a sheet of cardboard pinned beneath his spine and another tucked beneath his sleeping bag. It was a humid sundown with a few light rain outbreaks that left the pavement cold and wet. His panhandling cup grossed four pounds. Big tippers today. The deplorable foreclosed house he had temporarily called his own was remarkably put back on auction and was sold, but rough sleeping rough was nothing to a soul like his. Slow-paced footsteps approached. Russell didn't look at them. It may put off potential alms. Well, come on, let's hear that charity. His inner voice implored the stranger anticipating the lovely clink. 
And by hell, have I lost it? The stranger abruptly spoke. Russell lifted his eyes to the astonished face of Jack McKay, or someone that resembled him anyway. But that unchastened face couldn't belong to the Jack that he knew. It was too bright, too much life in the cheeks. The clothes were also too clean. He was sporting a gray fleece jacket, dark green trousers, and unblemished sketchers. Well, if it isn't my favorite ne'er-do-well, Russell chuckled, glancing at him up and down. You got all the muck and the gunk out of your system? His animated cheeks creased to a broad smile. Yeah, well, most of it. He laughed and bent towards Russell. A few still linger here and there, but I've reduced it. And how did you go about doing that? A drug crisis took me in. They got me on methadone to stop the cravings. Oh, it was hell's bells, the worst nights of my life, but eventually the urges lessened and I was able to quit the needle. Next thing I know, when I found a warehouse job. So that's what ate you up, Russell said. Well, I thought for sure it was your imaginary Kelpie. Well, it hasn't bitten your arse yet. Jack's tongue lapped around his lips. An empty searching expression impeded his glowing smile in a thousand-yard stare. Not since then, he muttered. Russell still remembered that night six months ago when Jack returned. Swamp drenched to high hell, and a white plastered face like a nun who kissed St. Andrew himself. That deep-seated look wasn't crazy, more so enthralled. When I got rid of it... He muttered from the floor with the empty pistol laying over his knees. I sent the bastard back to the watery hell it crawled out of. And that was the last Russell saw of him. He figured that maybe Jack's monster had caught up with him. But there was one other thing. No further organs were found drifted in the Hoganfield lock since then. And it wasn't imaginary. He added during Russell's recollection. Perhaps I am crazy, but let's say I was to believe what I saw. Because whether I do or don't, that won't change the fact that two people died kicking and screaming in the dark by something that was, and still might be, lurking in that very lock. Russell shrugged passively and shot an incredulous look. It goes to show... Tighten the hinges, and there will still be a few screws loose. Speaking of which, you still owe me for those silvers you wasted. I owe you a lot, Russell. More than you may tolerate, Jack said as he rose to his feet and extended his hand to him. Come with me. That solid stone tone was back. Russell blinked. What are you on about now? Get off the streets. And come with me. Russell blinked again, and this time shook his head. No, no thanks, lad. Well, I've seen all there is to shelters. I can't say I'm inter. Times are different, Jack interrupted him, his outstretched hand not wavering. Things aren't perfect, Russell. But they certainly aren't the same. Russell stared at him. At first, flabbergasted. But then something else. 
To this day, he still isn't sure what prompted him to take Jack's hand. But if he were to wager a guess, it would probably be the look in his eyes. They were the kind of eyes that cherished their freedom. The sort of eyes that were able to defeat their monsters. <laughs>